Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jared Bumpers, Assistant Professor of Preaching and Evangelism at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I have the honor of inviting Dr. Douglas O'Donnell to join our podcast. He serves currently as a Senior Vice President of Bible Editorial at Crossway Publishers. He's also written numerous volumes on preaching, including the Preach the Word, a commentary on Matthew, and a book on preaching the wisdom literature. And so excited to have him on the podcast. Recently, he's written a book titled The Beauty and Power of Biblical Exposition. And so I've invited him onto the podcast to discuss that book. Dr. O'Donnell, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a delight and honor to be, be with you. And feel free to call me Doug throughout the interview. Okay, that that's great. And you can call me Jared and we'll We'll roll along here. Right. Well, before we jump into the the book, I would love to get just kind of a life update from you, ministry, family. Tell us tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Family wise, I'm married to Emily. We've been married almost twenty four years, coming on this summer. And then we've got five children, Sean, who recently married Jeff. They live out in Colorado. Lily, who's a junior at Biola in California. And then we've got three at home, Evelyn. 19, Simeon 17, and Charlotte is almost my sweet 16. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the family. My my wife is in ministry as well. She works for something called Administry, Administer Justice, which is a like a gospel-centered legal aid ministry, provides legal aid for uh, people who can't afford an attorney, basically. She works with local churches setting up what are called justice centers. So in my ministry, I've been a pastor for 17 years, professor for three, and at Crossway now, and publishing for almost three as well. At Crossway, I serve as overseeing the Bible editorial. So anything to do with Bible projects going on with ESV, I make sure those things get done and and also create new ideas for forthcoming Bibles. And I work with general editors and contributors, a lot of exciting things that we're working on. I also serve as chaplain here, which is a great privilege. So every Thursday we have a chapel and I preach once a month and then we have authors who come in and preach or I interview them. And then I, I'm involved in local ministry in various ways with teaching and preaching and keep a, keep busy. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like you are a busy man between work, family, church involvement. Sounds like you've got a lot of, a lot of plates spinning. I do, but good plates that are spinning. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's great. Thank you so much for, for the update. And we're not sponsored by Crossway, but we do love Crossway. And you guys publish some beautiful Bibles and, and gospel-centered resources. So so thank you for your service there in the Christian publishing industry. Well, thank you so much for that kind word. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we're going we're gonna to discuss your book, The Beauty and Power of Biblical Exposition. And so you cover in that book different literary genres of the Bible and the best way to read and preach those. And so I think this, this episode will be beneficial to our listeners, those who are engaged in the task of preaching. But before we talk about the specific genres that you work through in the book, would love to ask you why preachers should care about the literary artistry and the literary genres in the Bible. Why does that matter to preachers today? Yeah, great question. I should mention just at the start, this is a co-authored book. So Leland Riken, literary expert who taught at Wheaton for many years, he wanted this book to be written and put in the hands of preachers. And so he asked me as a preacher if I would team up with him and do it. And he, he would sort of supply me with sort of the literary things I needed. And then I would write it so it's in my voice, you know, to preachers. And as we start the book, we talk about seven shared convictions. And maybe that's the best way to, to answer your question. And 
I'll, I'll try to do these quickly or some of them quickly and some of them I'll sit on a little bit. But mm-hmm. our first conviction is just a literary approach to the Bible is essential to good preaching <laughs> simply because the Bible is literature. That's what God gave us was this anthology of different types of genres, different types of literary expression. The second is a literary approach to the Bible. It helps avoid reductionistic preaching, which I think is a temptation we all have. So some pastors think that expository preaching, and I'm imagining most of your listeners are committed to expository preaching, is is kind of just a homiletical equivalent of expository writing. And the whole purpose of such writing is to convey the facts, to get information across. So the point of preaching, like Psalm 23, for example, is just to reduce all the images to the ideas. <laughs> I think a lot of us approach preaching like that, you know, but why, why would we take the poetry out of the poem? You know, Psalm 23 is, it's not a collection of ideas. God could have given it to us like that, but it's a beautiful short poem that God inspired David to write so that we might understand the picture it paints, both the emotions it expresses, mm-hmm. and and what we kind of go to at the end, the timeless truth that it propounds. So that, that's sort of our second conviction. The third, you know, why you need to know this stuff, why you need to get this book. <laughs> and related really closely to the second is a literary approach to the Bible acknowledges that throughout the Bible, meaning is communicated through various literary forms. So I'll give you an example. My PhD is on the nature of faith in the Gospel of Matthew, and I particularly focus on the Canaanite woman and Jesus's commendation of her great faith. Well, in the Gospels, we're not, there's no definition of what faith is, like we have in Hebrews. There's only one definition in all of the Bible, what, you know, faith is. But what we have is stories of what faith is like, or we have poems, psalms that express faith. And so the Canaanite woman, for example, like, what is the nature of great faith? Well, that story shows us what great faith looks like. And so if we if we fail to understand the genre that this theme is set in and how the Bible is trying to communicate to us truth through a story or through a poem or through a vision, we'll really misunderstand how God has decided to communicate to us. The fourth thing is a literary approach to the Bible helps the preacher, like help his congregation to relive the text as fully as possible so that we might live out the message of the text. You might remember years ago, there were at least, I'm older than you, so you may not remember, but Professor Rich, Richard Pratt wrote a book on Old Testament narratives, and it's called He Gave Us Stories, God mm-hmm. Gave Us Stories. And he gave us all sorts of other things in the story, you know, poems and parables, proverbs, laws, lists, doxologies, debates, lamentations, and so on. He gave us all of these various genres for various reasons, and one of which I think is to re-experience in community, as you're preaching, the ideas and the expressions, the emotions and the applications of each unique text. So I think understanding all of that and what we have here in the book will help you achieve that. And the fifth is a literary approach to the Bible offers an awareness and appreciation for the artistry of God's inspired word. I have a very poetic bent and artistic bent, and so that's why I'm writing a book like this. <laughs> but I think if you don't have that, the, a literary approach helps you appreciate that. You might remember near the end of Ecclesiastes, the Koalath, the author, he writes about sort of the great care he, he took in arranging the material, and he sought to find words of delight. Mm. 
And I think our conviction is that's not just the author of Ecclesiastes or wisdom literature or the poetry, sort of the beautiful parts of the Bible in some ways, but all of the biblical writers in, in one way or another tried to do that as well. There was great care in how they ordered it and, and even a desire to find the right words, even words of delight. So I think as Bible preachers, our responsibility is to do something with that beauty, to, to underscore, to explain, to illustrate, to apply everything that's there, the imagery, the metaphors, the similes, personification, paradox, pun, every kind of literary device, not just as a duty, we should do this if we want to be a good preacher, but but as an act of delight. So if artistry, put it this way, is, is found on every page of the Bible, which, which we believe it is, some is higher artistry than others, but if there's artistry, then Bible preachers need to expound the Bible, explain the Bible, illustrate the Bible with that in mind. Sixth, a literary approach to the Bible opens the entire canon of Scripture to exploration and exposition. I'm someone, because I have sort of a literary bent, I've always gone to poetry, the Bible, and so wisdom literature, the Old Testament. But most people find wisdom literature, the Old Testament, the Psalms can be quite difficult. And, and it is a challenge. It's part of the reason I like it, too. <laughs> I'm an artist, artistic bent, but I love the challenge. Of how do I preach Ecclesiastes? But I think a lot of preachers, if we're honest, here's a story that Lee, Lee tells. If he, he knew a preacher, an older preacher, who he would use the Psalms every time he went to a patient, you know, someone congregate in the hospital. But he said to Lee, I don't know, I know how to use them when I go to the hospital. <laughs> I could just read them. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know what to do with them, at, like to preach them, because he didn't understand how poetry works. And so I think if you understand some of the basic tools that we're teaching, how do I read this genre? How do I preach this genre that we're giving you in this book? It will open for you the whole of the canon of scripture. You won't be afraid of preaching a narrative. You won't be afraid of how do I preach this poem or apocalyptic literature or some of the more difficult genres. And then seventh, a literary approach to the Bible adds freshness and enjoyment to our reading and preaching, along with really an antidote for misinterpretation of God's Word. And maybe as we go through a few of the genres here, I can explain that further. So that's why we think it's really important that preachers get their heads around and have some tools in their belt for literary literary exposition of the Scriptures. Yeah, that, that's great. Such a helpful summary. And, you know, when you think about the command to preach in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you know, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, you know, that's that's grounded in Paul's view of Scripture, the back end of chapter 3, where he says all Scripture is inspired by God. And not only is it inspired, but it's profitable. And so we, we often talk about the importance of preaching yeah. the whole counsel of God's word. Every part of the Bible is profitable, but every genre is profitable for believers today. And so we want to kind of turn our attention here to some of those specific genres and talk about why they matter for Christians, how to read them, and how to preach them. And so I'm going to start where you start in the book with narratives. And okay. so narratives cover a large part of our Bibles. And so kind of two, two-pronged two question for each genre. One, how should we read that particular genre? And then two, some tips or suggestions for preaching from that genre. Yeah, great. Yeah, and we start with narrative because if you preach more than a year, you, you've probably preached a narrative. You know, you're going you're gonna to run, in, run into a narrative somewhere. So I think as I think of the genres, it's narrative and epistles are the ones we're most familiar with. So, yeah, some key things for like how we read a narrative, and, and these might be very basic, but they're very important, is what is the setting, looking at the setting. Oftentimes we sort of fly over the setting, especially when we're preaching, but sometimes, oftentimes the setting is quite significant. So spending time sort of sitting in the setting and understanding the setting, 
And then characters and characterization. So who are the characters in the narrative? How are they speaking or acting, responding to one another? And then the third basic component of any narrative is a plot. And since Aristotle, we've been studying like what are the basics of a story arc. And there's a beginning of the story, a middle and an end. And there's a setting typically. And then you've got a rising action, the climax, and then the resolution. So again, this might be like basic things and we all kind of have our head, oh yeah, okay, that's what a narrative is. I think a lot of times though, when we approach a narrative, we don't often treat it like a story when we preach it. <laughs> we, we're, we're looking for ideas. What, what are the ideas or the theological truths or the applications I can get from this? And we don't relive the story with our congregation. And, and that's kind of maybe turning out like some tips for preaching biblical narrative. And maybe I'll come back to that one in a second. But the first thing is just picking the uh, proper section. Of, and so, for, and this can be, you know, all Bibles, ESV included, you know, we're going to give you little section headers and say, this is how we think it should be divided up. And of course, those aren't inspired. And so you do need to sort of divide, decide for yourself, how do I divide this text? And I think it's quite significant that you divide the text in the right spot, or you'll miss how a story or a group of stories work together. I often give the example uh, in Matthew 8, you have you have a couple stories together. There's the cleansing of the leper, and then this is 8, 1 to 17, as I argue is the pericope you should use in preaching. So the cleansing of the leper, the healing of the centurion servants, and, and then the cooling of Peter's mother-in-law, along with the, the whole evening of ministry where he's casting out demons and healing the sick. Those three stories, I think, form a, a unit because Matthew ends that section saying, all this was to fulfill was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Mm-hmm. He, Jesus, took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So you, you then take that sort of key statement set at the very end of that section, and you say, how does that fit with these three stories? And so you can also think Mark does this all the time with, you know, what are often called Mark and sandwiches, you know, mm-hmm. two stories that he puts, puts together. So the right way to preach those stories is to preach them together, not as two separate things. So that, that's the point. Find, find the right pericope, pick the right pericope. Second, and I was just talking about this, sort of reliving the story, not, not sort of quickly jumping to, here are the three truths that this, this story says, but no, can you imagine, you know, what this character was, was going through? We just, you know, it was just Resurrection Sunday yesterday, time of this recording. And so, you know, Mary, the first to see the Lord Jesus, you know, what did she think when Jesus said her name, Mary? How 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 did she feel? You know, like so, get, getting in that character's shoes and and having a sense of what might have been going through their head, or what the narrator tells us was going through their head, and then from there, yeah. I have a little section on don't skip the setting, but <laughs> basically sometimes the setting is going to set you up for everything that's going to happen, hmm. the plot that's about to come. And I talked a little bit there about identifying the characters, identifying with the characters. I'm just sort of re- reiterating that important point. What else is there that would be helpful? Well, just uh, yeah, mo- moving. So I, I say all that about the importance of like understanding the setting and the character and the plot. But you do eventually have to move from story to theme. And this is maybe the biggest challenge is how do, what's the truth that this story is trying to say? You know, sometimes it's quite evident, like the Canaanite woman, it's a, it's a story of faith. This is what faith looks like. But other times we're not clear what the theme is. And the challenge is to how do I move 
from that story, you know, what is the story of David and Goliath really about? And getting to what the idea of the text is without without moralizing, without allegorizing. So those are a few few tips. <laughs> I can keep going, but <laughs> it's enough to think about, I guess. Yeah, that's great. Everything you said there, I think, is helpful. I, I just preached our, our Good Friday. You talk about this being a re, you know, Resurrection Sunday yesterday, and I preached our Good Friday service on Friday evening from John chapter 19, and Christ cried from the mm-hmm. cross, I'm thirsty, which is a fulfillment of, of Psalm 69, but you also have, have Jesus agonizing on the cross, and so it is a fulfillment of Scripture, but Psalm 60, even Psalm 69 is a reflection of human suffering and anguish, and so identifying mm-hmm. with the characters. I thought of Matthew 16, when, when Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi and asked, you know, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The setting there matters, and so, yeah, all, all these things, I think, shape or should shape uh, how we approach preaching narrative text. And so, yeah, those are, those are great suggestions. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so next next you talked about parables, and I, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on, on this. Of course, I, I've, I've worked my way through your book. I've read your book, but would love to hear you reflect on interpreting and then preaching parables. So start with the interpretation, then move us towards, okay, how do you, how do you preach parables? Do parables have one primary point? Do they have multiple points? So enlighten us. <laughs> yeah, sure. And here I'm, I really want to focus on the how, but I'll give a few a few sort of things for reading. I, I think we all have a sense of you know what what a parable is, especially if you've been preaching for any amount of time. It is a sort of a short symbolic story of everyday life that has got some moral truth and connected to you know, Christ's kingdom. And things to sort of note or look out for when you're reading parables is, and I love this about Jesus. There's this sort of homespun realism, like he's using real characters and examples from first century Palestine to convey the secrets of the kingdom to those who will hear and understand. Of course, parables, they, they do reveal in that, that way. They also conceal, as Jesus teaches us both in Mark and Matthew, that's one of the dynamics of it, that we need to be aware of what are the purpose of parables. The Gospels tell us the purpose of parables, those two things, essentially. What I love about parables is is this sort of universal appeal. So it's set within this context of who Jesus is talking to and the land in which he is and what people do for a living and things like that. It has this universal appeal. I was just, you know, listening to a sermon on the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son and just how relevant that is to today, even though everything is set within a specific historical context. The challenge, and I'll talk about this in a minute, is, is you know, if, if these are symbolic stories, how do we move from the, the plain sort of text, this is a story about a Samaritan, to what that might symbolize? And maybe I'll just jump to that, because this is the thing I, in the short amount of time we have together, to really get across. So when I was, I was a professor overseas in Australia, and I had the privilege of teaching a class on the synoptics and the Gospel of John, and... So I came up with uh, Australians, they sort of shorten everything. So like, you know, <laughs> they would never say Dr. Douglas O'Donnell. They never they hardly didn't call anyone doctor over there. So and and even O'Donnell would not typically be used. So like they shorten everything. So I call it Duggos. <laughs> Duggos. <laughs> um, uh, amazing 10 steps for mastering parable interpretation and, and finding meaning in life. Um, <laughs> and so and so I'll, I'll quickly go over these steps because I think this this is in my this is my summary of you know years uh, not decades but just years of studying parables and i'm still a learner on all of these things but 
step one is is context. So the first thing is going to be related to to context. So first, within the context of the whole narrative of, let's say, Mark's gospel, where is the parable found? That's the first thing to look for. And then step two, and staying in the, in the big subheading of context, what's the preceding context? Does it shed any light on the motive or the content of the parable? And if you spend any time with parables, you know those two questions are really essential to trying to understand what Jesus might be teaching. And third, staying under context, look what happens after the parable is told. Is there a reaction to the parable? <laughs> For example, the Pharisees were offended when they heard these things. That will teach you, that, that's sort of opening up the parable for you by just looking or at the at the immediate context. And then we go from context to observation, step four. So the fourth step is to see if there is a major contrast made in the parable. And so most parables have sort of a major contrast, and to see if that contrast eventually, to see if it sheds any light on what the meaning of the parable is. Step five is, again, under observation, what would have surprised or shocked the original hearers or readers? So the Samaritan, <laughs> the Jewish audience listening to hearing a story about a Samaritan being good <laughs> would have would have shocked them. And then from there, the sixth observation, sixth step uh, under observation is I just, and I think it's really helpful. It's like I list every person, place, thing, and action in the parable. I just do a little table and I list all of that because from that, I'm going to try and figure out you know, is there meaning, should there be meaning to, to these, these things I've listed? So, and this is where really the fun begins. You move from observation, context observation to, to meaning. The seventh step is you're looking at a list and you're thinking who or what has a likely second level of meaning. So you might say, okay, I've got listed as a character, the beloved son in the parable of tenants. Well, that likely symbolizes someone. Hmm. That's, that's kind of easy. But the harder things is like, well, a fence is mentioned. <laughs> is does the fence have? Uh, is it a, is it symbolic of something else, or is just a fence a fence? <laughs> and so step eight kind of follows that, working out the the meeting. And this is there's not like a perfect science to this. And I think the more you preach, the more you understand. Oh, that sh- that does have a second level of meaning, and that doesn't. And then you also get better at like, oh, this is what I, I'm pretty sure that second meaning is. And then from from there, we move to application. So I'm using the coma method method here, if you listen, sort of the context first, observation, meaning, and then application. So step nine answers the question, who are the main characters and what's the point of application for each that Jesus is trying to get across? And here I follow, I'm following the work of Craig Blomberg in his dissertation many years ago, and he's stuck with this theory, and I, I agree with it. Is, is that each character, typically main character, so there may be three main characters, typically there are three main characters in a, in a parable, a story parable, and what are then the applications for each of those characters? And I think you'll be amazed how often that really, that works well, and how it's a, it's a method that can be really helpful in putting together a sermon on a parable. And then the final thing is, if you had to sort of summarize the central application of the key theme of the parable, what would it be? Now, sometimes Jesus gives us these end stresses, and he tells us, this is what the parable's about, this is the the last thing I'm going to say about it, and that helps us. There's the central application for us as well. 
Other times we've got to do a little work and try and figure out what would, what would the key theme be. But the important thing of this is the key theme is not just some moral application, but because the, the parable is about the kingdom, it has something to do with Jesus and his kingdom. It, it's coming, it's proclamation, uh, it's participation in it, how to get in it, the kinds of things you should keep out of the kingdom, encouragement to persevere in it, all sorts of things like that. So what is the main application? But it's got to be linked to Jesus and his kingdom. So those are my 10 steps. Amazing. Douglas, uh, amazing 10 steps. <laughs> Douglas, amazing 10 interpretation. steps. <laughs> I will remember that. that that's so good Great. and helpful. And I, I love the step where you talk about the, the individual parts of the parable. Oftentimes guys are, are concerned or afraid. And I think to, to a certain extent, they should be cautious about identifying or finding significance or meaning in the details of the parable. But in Matthew 13, when Jesus told the first two parables, the parable of the sower and the wheat and the tares, he goes on to give them kind of a point by point. This is that. This is that. The seed is the word of God. You know, this soil represents this. And so I think we should seek to imitate or follow his method and, and try to find and discern whether or not certain parts have significance or not. So, yeah, that, that was super helpful as a whole. Thank you. We, we've got two or three minutes left. And so uh, I know that's not a lot of time, but would love to hear you just reflect on the, the best way to read and preach poetry in the Bible. You mentioned, you commented on this earlier, but would love to, you to give some concluding thoughts. Yeah, great question. And I think, you know, with just a couple minutes left, let me just say that I think it's so important that we understand how to preach poetry. And if I say nothing else, that's the important thing. I, I once gathered with a, a large church in the area with about 20 different pastors around the table, and I asked them all to close their eyes and open their Bible, keep their eyes closed, and just point down and then open their eyes. And I asked how many of you were pointing at a poem. And, you know, I don't know, I think it was like 70% at that point, which is the Bible's not 70% poetry, but it proved the point, like there's lots of poems in the Bible. And sometimes people feel like, you know, I'm not one of those poetry guys. I don't read poetry. I don't write poetry. I'm not really interested in poetry. That's not really an option for a preacher of God's word because God loves poetry. <laughs> and he wrote in poetry. He gave us whole books of poems. And so it's really essential that we understand something, if not a lot, about how poetry works. And two, two things that come to mind. One is just understanding sort of basic structures. And this is all in the book, but parallelisms, chiasms, those are really significant things for, for Hebrew poetry. But they also are used in, in Greek. And when Jesus talks, he speaks with sort of Hebraic expressions that are parallelisms. The other thing, and I think we often discount this in, in preaching, is and interpretation and exegesis hermeneutics is is emotion a poem is typically written you know how it's sort of a disaster in most bible studies how does this passage make you feel but when you're studying a poem that's a great question how does this passage make me feel or how is this passage intended to make me feel am i is it intended to make me joyful because i'm praising the lord or sad because i'm sitting in the ash heap with job as he writes this soliloquy about suicide, <laughs> you know, and I think th those are really important things, structure and emotion, and how do structure and emotion fit into the way we view the art of preaching and the way we actually preach? 
Yeah, that's so helpful. And poetry is is moving and it often gets neglected, as you commented earlier. And so uh, those are helpful suggestions. And again, you, you cover that in more detail in the book itself. And so if you're listening, I want to encourage you to pick up a copy. It also covers epistles, proverbs, and visionary writings. And so we didn't get to all those today, but that should incentivize you to pick up a copy, The Beauty and Power of Biblical Exposition, published by Crossway. Dr. O'Donnell, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much as well. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.